Okay, you can have a seat. We're going to continue our series, Parables of the Kingdom. Jesus shatters our long-held Christian ideas. That's what this series is about. Our life groups are discussing it in more detail uh, during the week. Um, at least a lot of our life groups are. We've got uh, a kid's life group who's discussing it. And when the kids uh, back there in the classroom go back there, that's what they're discussing. They're talking about the parables of the kingdom, parables, stories that Jesus told to illustrate truths about how the kingdom of God is different than the way we expect the kingdom of God to operate sometimes. It shatters our expectations. It shatters our long-held, oftentimes, you, <laughs> you like that? Long-held Christian beliefs, our paradigms, it pushes against them, it, it disrupts them, it messes with them, it bothers us. And the one that we're going to look at today, um, by the way, there's four more. So including this week, there's four more. We're going to push through to the end of November. Last week, we took a break for Election Sunday, did a message there. And I know some of you guys wanted me to do part two of that today, but we are not going to. We're closing out that chapter and those discussions and I'm uh, going to let you all continue conversations organically about that topic, um, which I know you all looking forward to doing. Um, this parable is on the sin of unforgiveness. The sin of unforgiveness. The sin of unforgiveness that on one hand is very easy for us to hide, not just from other people, but sometimes from ourselves. We don't even know if we're struggling with unforgiveness in our hearts. Sometimes we don't know until we see somebody somewhere. I'm like, I want to kill that person. I didn't even know I did it. Now I do. And on the other hand, it's something that God takes extremely serious. Charles Spurgeon actually said, it's the most serious of all sins. And this parable illustrates why that might be the case. People say that every sin is treated equally and all that. Well, the Bible kind of has this extra weight on some sins, particularly the sin of unforgiveness. And this parable illustrates why, and we're going to get into that. Um, but I, I just want to ask you guys, uh, have you ever experienced unforgiveness on an on a, on a regular, ongoing basis. Anybody ever experienced that where you knew I am holding on to unforgiveness and I need to do something about that? Anybody ever, ever experienced that? Yeah, okay, okay, good. So you've experienced it, you know what we're talking about. Good, good, good. Sometimes we don't know until, like I said, somebody, we see somebody. Um, the first time I read this parable in a way that pierced my heart, in a way that was conscience for me, was when my mother told me to read it. I was 19 years old. I was living on my own in LA, and I had just had a situation happen with a roommate of mine who I, I, uh, I had moved out to LA when I was 18. I was looking for a roommate. This guy who was 20 years older than me, he had done some time in prison, uh, but we worked together. I trusted him. Uh, even though I barely knew him, he said, hey man, I'll be your roommate. I said, great. He said, but we got to put the whole thing on your credit because I got bad credit. I said, no worries. I got you covered. So we move in together. After a couple months, the landlord tells me that he hasn't paid his half of the rent. Now, again, the whole thing was on my credit. So I, I, my name was on the lease. It was a year lease. So I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll let him know. I said, Lee, you got you to gotta pay for June. It was the month of June, I remember. He told me he would. Um, a couple weeks later, she came back to me, the landlord, and said he, he still hasn't paid, and now it's July. So I went back to him. Long story short, he said he was in a bind. He was going to get paid soon. He asked if I could cover his half of the rent for June and for July. Being the wise 19-year-old that I was, I said, sure, no problem, so long as you promise. And he said, I promise. I said, okay, that's good enough for me. 
<laughs> so I paid for June. I paid for July. Uh, he didn't pay me. And I, and, I, and I started to get angry. I was like, Lee, come on. And he kept promising, promising. And by August, I said, this isn't going to work. I went to the landlord. I said, listen, I can't stay here anymore. He's not paying for, he didn't pay me back for June and July. I don't have any money for August. I can't even pay for my half, let alone his half. And uh, she said, I understand. So I moved out. I thought I was good to go. I moved out. I was staying with another friend, saving some money back up. And then she called me back up a few days later. And she's like, you better get back here. Lee is not leaving. So she called the cops. I get there. The cops want to talk to me. They go in to talk to him. They come back out. I remember, I'll never forget, standing there outside the apartment, the two cops on one side, the landlord on the other side of me, and the cops are saying to the landlord, sorry, we can't make him leave. He's got squatter's rights. And the landlord says, well, what do I do? And the two cops say, you're going to have to evict him. And the landlord said, he's not on the lease. He's on the lease. And the cops turn to me and say, you're going to have to evict him. And I'm like, I'm not even living there. Are you kidding me? And so lo and behold, this guy got to stay at that apartment for the next six months for free while I was being evicted, not living there, not living there. So not only did he owe me for June and July, I had to pay a collection agency the entirety of six months of a, a, a lease when I wasn't even staying there. It took me a few years to pay that debt off. You could imagine what I wanted to do to this guy. In fact, I would often spend time imagining what I would want to do to this guy. I would, I said in the first service, there would be violent movies that I would watch sometimes, and I'd be like, that's exactly what I would do to Lee if I got a hold of him. Uh, and I was working through a very tangible debt that this guy owed me, and my mother, knowing that I was working through this, told me to read this parable on forgiveness or the lack thereof. Uh, and it definitely changed my view, although it took a while for me to actually release him in my heart, uh, as this parable says at the end, if you don't forgive your brother from your heart. Um, it took a process for me. And sometimes forgiveness is a process. But we're going to work through this parable and we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about, well, the, the, what's the difference between forgiveness out in the world and forgiveness in God's kingdom? And I know that some of us, we've had hurts done to us that are far more serious than some guy owing me money. I know some of you have been through abuse uh, at the hands of a spouse, perhaps, or a parent, or an uncle somewhere. You, 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 you've had a, a business partner cheat you. You've, you've been through some stuff, and, and maybe the perpetrator got away. Maybe they never saw a day in court. Maybe they, there, was no, there was no time done in prison, and there should have been. I, 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 I get that. And then on the, on the flip side, C.S. Lewis has this quote I want to I point out here. He says, It is perhaps not so hard to forgive a single great injury, but to forgive the incessant provocations of daily life, to keep on forgiving the bossy mother-in-law, the bullying husband, the nagging wife, the selfish daughter, the deceitful son. How can we do it? Right? So it's the big hurts on one hand that are sometimes hard to forgive. And on the other hand, sometimes it's just the accumulation of a, little, a, a bunch of little offenses. You know, the neighbor who keeps encroaching on your property, keeps driving up and parks on your side of the, you know, the lawn or something and, and you know, lets his tree leaves fall on your lawn or lets his animal do, you know, doggy do on, on your lawn and doesn't do anything about it. This will, things pile up and, 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 and you might not say they owe you, but in your heart, that's what it feels like. There's a debt there. My spouse keeps promising to come home for dinner on time and to have dinner with the family. And they keep, 
he keeps working late. She keeps working late, not following through on their promises. Those things add up. And sometimes we can't even identify that we're holding on to unforgiveness. But we find out later on, right, when we sit down in marriage counseling and all of a sudden we've got our record of wrongs that the other person done to us. And, you know, it's like, well, back on Christmas Eve of 1989, he said this to me and it, that's unforgiveness, right? We're keeping a record of wrongs. So how do we forgive? How do we get the power to forgive? What does forgiveness look like? Sometimes we don't know. I got a text from somebody after the first service saying, I get that I'm supposed to forgive, but when does boundaries come into play? When does consequences come into play? How do I know if, 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 if we need to separate for a season? Those are important questions, legitimate questions. We're not going to answer all those questions right now. We're not going to be able to. I, I, I hope, however, that there's going to be a thrust of uh, that God's Spirit is going to do something in your soul when it comes to forgiveness, and it's going to take you on, if you need to forgive someone, a journey to figure that out, to figure out what does it look like for this particular situation. Um, and that might mean counseling. That might mean discussions with your life group. This week, you can bring something up. Hey, guys, what do you think that means for in this situation? Maybe God will illuminate something for you. So we're going to work through this, this passage here. Um, let's jump into it. Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. Is it up to seven times? Now, Jewish tradition said you cap it at three times. You have to forgive up to three times, and then you're a good Jew after that. Don't worry about it. After that, you can put a limit. You can put a cap. You can say no more. Peter, being the overachiever that he often was, wanting to prove himself and look how holy I am, he went up to Jesus. He's like, hey, I'm willing to go up to seven. I'm willing to go up to seven. I'm willing to be better than the average Jew. However, I want to make sure that there's still a limit. Seven times, that's it, right? Then I can cap it. Then I can put parameters around it. Then I can put some qualifications there. I don't have to forgive anymore. Because Peter knows, like we know, that people often take advantage of our forgiveness. You ever have somebody take advantage of your forgiveness? Anybody? Yeah, you forgive and then the world takes advantage. That's, that's going to happen. That's a natural result sometimes of forgiveness. It's risky. Forgiveness is risky, right? I've had people come up to me when I've preached on forgiveness in the past and say things like, that's the kind of teaching that leads a, a wife to stay with an abusive husband. Or that's the kind of preaching that leads somebody to stay in a toxic church and overlook flaws. I understand those legitimate concerns. I get it. People do take advantage of it. So uh, that's Peter. Peter comes to Jesus. What do I do, Lord? Up to seven times? And Peter, uh, Jesus' response is this. Look at verse 22. No, not seven times, but 70 times seven. 70 times seven. Now that's a figure of speech. He's not telling Peter to count up to 490. He says it's infinity. Seven was the number of completion. It was, there's no end, Peter. There's no limit on forgiveness, pal. And instead of giving qualifications, which we want Jesus to do because we live in a real world, we want Jesus to put the parameters and limitations and qualifications around it. Instead, he goes in the other directions with this parable. It's frustrating. But let's go through it. Look, therefore, the kingdom of God, he says in verse 23, is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like. So the kingdom of heaven, 
Some of us think that's referring to heaven. It's not. Some of us think it's referring to maybe the church. It's not, although heaven and the church are part of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven was a reference to the reign and rule of God. The Jews expected God to come in and set up a political empire, right? Like, 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 the, like the reign of David, a new, a new Messiah through the line of David is going to come and set up the kingdom of God. That's what they expected in Jesus showed up on the scene and said, the kingdom of God is here through me, the Messiah, breaking in now through these miracles, through granting forgiveness. So he was basically saying the reign and rule of God is among you now. It's here among you now in me, in my life, death, and resurrection, the reign and rule. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is like, he's telling these parables to say, Hey, you expected a one kind of kingdom to come in and overthrow the Romans. I'm telling you it's different. And in this particular case, forgiveness is different. Forgiveness out there is one thing. Forgiveness in the kingdom where the reign and the rule of God has taken effect, it's going to be different. Where my people have my spirit in them is the reign and rule of God and forgiveness for them looks different. So he keeps going, verse 24. It's like a king who had to settle accounts. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, 10,000 talents is a lot of coin. It's a lot of money. Some have tried to transfer it into our everyday dollars, you know, factor in inflation. And I've heard, I've heard it go from 12 million to a few billion. Somewhere in there. And just to be conservative, we'll say 12 million for today. This guy owed the king $12 million. Anybody ever owe somebody $12 million? It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money for a servant. He's not very wealthy, so he's not going to be able to pay off this debt. And so the king knows it. And so in the king's kingdom, he gets to say, I want legal justice here. And what does that mean? I'm going to sell your assets. And what are your assets? It's you. It's your wife. It's your kids. It's your donkeys, your animals, your goldfish, your bikes, your video games. Everything I'm going to sell and I'm going to keep for myself. And it still won't add up to 12 million. Verse 26, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. So wait a second, wait a second. The guy just said, have mercy on me. Have, be patient. I'll pay you back everything. The king knows he's not going to pay back everything. But the king, instead of saying, I'll give you a little more time, and then I'm going to send my henchmen to kind of take out your kneecaps. No, he says, you know what? Nothing. The debt's erased. You don't have to pay back anything. That's quite a 180, right? I'm going to sell everything you have, including your kids, all the way over to, actually, you don't have to pay me back anything. I'll absorb that $12 million. My kingdom will absorb it. I'll absorb it. I'll, I'll take it on. You don't have to pay back anything. That's a huge change, is it not? If you went from, I, my family is going to get sold to, I don't owe anything. You, you're going to go out and want a party. You're going to want to call your family members and, and have them meet you at Applebee's and celebrate. 
right? You're going to call up your pastor and say, hey, you know, I've been complaining about this meeting with the king and I've been asking for your prayers. I got a praise report to announce. Can you put that out in the prayer chain so that people know that, you know, God actually answers prayers? Can you, can you tell everybody that there's good news going on here? I'm going to get my life group together and tell them the good news because they've been praying for this confrontation with the king, right? You would think that's what's going to happen. That kind of change. My family's going to be sold too. You don't owe me anything. That would change our lives, right? Well, look at how this guy responds. Verse 28. When that servant went out, instead of throwing a party, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. <laughs> he didn't go to Applebee's and celebrate. He found somebody who owed him money and he started to choke him out. A hundred denarii was about a third of a year's salary. A denarii was an average day's wage. So a hundred is a hundred days and you get the idea. It's about an average. In the first service, I said, let's, you know, let's say the average salary in America is about 60,000. I don't know if it is. Um, so that, a third of that would be 20 grand. He's forgiven 12 million. And then he goes out and finds somebody who owes him 20 grand and he starts to choke him out. Right? So it's to say, you, you pay me back what you owe me. Next verse. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So his fellow slave kind of said the same thing that he said to the king earlier, right? Did you pick that up? And he says, No, you can't. I'm not giving you any more time. And he throws him in prison to pay back, then that's what he had the legal right to do. We need to, we need to acknowledge that for a moment. He had the legal right to throw him into prison. 20 grand is not an insignificant amount. If somebody owed you 20 grand, you'd want to take him to people's court, wouldn't you? You'd want to choke him out, right? You'd want to find some henchmen to go track him down, correct? 20 grand is, is, a, is a good deal for most of us, correct? The legitimate debt that this person owed him. The problem was, the reason this stands out in Jesus' story, the reason it seems so ludicrous and ridiculous in this story and to Jesus' listeners is the context, the bigger picture. What just happened between this slave and the king? That's what makes it seem so ridiculous, right? It's the context. It's the step, whoa, wait a second. Something just happened here. That changes how you should view that 20 grand, right? It should seem different to you because of what just happened. It's like he had amnesia and forgot what the king just did to him. Now his fellow slaves noticed this in Jesus' story. Verse 31. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have also had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. He was handed over to the torturers. The king was angry. Now, why was the king angry? Because the king expected, and rightfully so, listen, 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 listen. Those of you who have somebody owing you money from your past, 
Those of you who have a spouse who keeps doing something and bugging you out and they're not changing fast enough, they owe you. Somebody disrespected you this week. You got into a political argument with somebody and they were very arrogant towards you. They owe you. Somebody at work, a boss, they owe you. Always critical, they owe you praise. They don't know how much you've done. They don't show you appreciation, they owe you. The king was angry because the servant put more weight and value on 20 grand that was owed him than he put on 12 million that was forgiven him. That's why the king was angry. King wasn't saying that you don't have a legitimate reason to throw the guy in prison. The king was saying, in the context of what just happened, you were more moved emotionally by 20 grand that was owed you than 12 million that was forgiven for you. You were more moved in your soul by this 20 grand than you were moved by my mercy on you, my grace towards you, the fact that I was willing to absorb your debt. That's why the king was angry. And so he says, you know what? You want to you go the justice route? You want to demand justice? You want to demand your legal right? Okay. Well, I'm going to demand my legal right. Back in prison, back to the torturers until you can repay your debt. And the implication for Jesus' listeners, the exorbitant amount was such that he ain't going to repay in his lifetime. He's going to be with the torturers in prison for the rest of his life, forever. And then Jesus says this. He sums up this parable like this in verse 35. My heavenly father will also do the same to you. Each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. That's scary. My heavenly father will do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. My heavenly father will hand you over to the torturers until you should repay. And by the way, you can't repay, so that's going to be forever, eternity, if you don't forgive your brother from your heart. That's, that's why I said earlier, and that's why the late, great Charles Spurgeon said that forgiveness is, is, could be the worst sin. Unforgiveness could be. They may not all be equal in the eyes of God. Unforgiveness may be the biggest one of all. This is a scary parable. This is a sobering parable. This is a parable that, again, leaves us with many questions. But what about? But what about? In fact, that's one of the reactions many of us have. We, we go immediately on one extreme to the, to the yeah buts. Immediately, right, in, in our heads, we're like, well, theologically, Chris, I don't think God can take back forgiveness once he gives it, so I think you're off there, and I think you have to pull out other scriptures. Or yeah, but my situation's a little bit more unique. It's not like that. It's very, very different. And by the way, if I had a dollar every time somebody said that their situation was unique, in fact, saying that makes that person no longer unique. <laughs> but we go immediately to the yeah buts. Yeah, but. But you got to remember. You got to remember the qualifications and the parameters and limitations and yeah, but. That's one extreme. We take it lightly. I don't want to take unforgiveness that seriously. The other extreme is we take it seriously, but we start to hyperanalyze in a very religious way. We start to hyperanalyze our lives and go, oh, no. God might take away my, the forgiveness that he gave me 
If, if, is there anybody in my life that I didn't show forgiveness to? And we're like racking our brains and, and, and pouring over the details of the last week and the last month and the last year. Is there anybody I didn't forgive? Is, what about that store clerk who was rude to me? I think I was rude back. Is that unforgiveness? Does that mean God took back his forgiveness? Right? It's that kind of like religious nasal, navel gazing. And, and I think this parable was meant to push against both mindsets in two different ways. For the yeah, but crowd, remember, it was Peter coming to Jesus saying, hey, the limit is at seven, right? And Jesus is like, no. In my kingdom, even though 20 grand is a legitimate debt, in my kingdom, there's no limitation on forgiveness. There's no point where you don't grant forgiveness, Peter. There's no, there's no yeah, buts to forgiveness. There might be yes, ands. Yes, and. There might be boundaries needed. Yes, and it might take time to rebuild trust. Yes, and there might be some consequences, right? You might need to allow your adult child to uh, be caught and arrested for their drug use while you're also forgiving them for the things that they said to you and the money they stole from you. There might be some yes, ands, but there's no yes, buts. There's no, there's no limit on forgiveness, Peter. You don't, you don't, you don't, Think about that person and immediately go to the debt they owe you. That's unforgiveness. You don't label somebody according to the debt they owe you. You forgive. There's no limit. There's no yeah buts. On the other side, however, you don't have to hyper-analyze if you have or have not forgiven somebody. You'll know it. It'll stand out in your life. It'll stand out in your soul if you are part of God's kingdom. Just like this guy's unforgiveness stood out in the story to Jesus's listeners. It was so ridiculous in the context of the story. Anybody listening would have realized that the natural progression of a story that made sense was you're forgiven 12 million, you find somebody who owes you 20,000 and you forgive the 20,000. That just made sense in the flow of a story. For him not to, Jesus's listeners would have been like, is that guy insane? It's like, is this, is, does he literally have amnesia? And, and I think that's what Jesus' point is. Forgiveness is the natural result of somebody who has been born again of God's spirit and put in God's kingdom and their hearts are ruled and, 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 and under the reign of God's kingdom. In fact, that's the main point I want to get across. When the kingdom of God is ruling and reigning in our hearts, the fruit of forgiveness will naturally flow. That's Jesus' point. It's going to naturally come out of you when the kingdom of God is ruling and reigning in your heart. He's not saying that you earn God's forgiveness by forgiving other people. In fact, Jesus said in another place in the Sermon on the Mount, a good tree will bear good fruit, a bad tree will bear bad fruit. He doesn't say you become a good tree by trying really hard to produce good fruit and going through the motions, right? You don't throw a bunch of apples in your garden and then wait for a tree to pop up. Right? You plant the tree and you wait for fruit to come out of it. Right? And so likewise, likewise, if we are truly transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son, Jesus, and if we have been washed and cleansed by his blood, by our faith and his sacrifice on the cross, and we've been born again by his spirit, then naturally the fruit of forgiveness will flow out of our hearts. It'll just come out of us naturally. To have our hearts ruled by the kingdom of God means the fruit of forgiveness will naturally flow. Now, this does not mean, this does not mean 
that it's always going to be easy. For it to naturally flow doesn't mean it's always going to be easy, right? If you're a gardener, if you're a farmer, some hard work. You tend, you tend to the crops. You, you make sure that it gets watered. You make sure there's sunlight. You, you trim some weeds. And, 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 and likewise, sometimes forgiveness is a fight. It's a wrestle. It, it takes prayer. It takes counseling. It takes conversations with people. It takes going back to your life group and saying, man, I just saw, in fact, that's what happened to my roommate, Lee. A few years later, after I had paid back a collection agency, those thousands of dollars, which took a few years, I saw him on a city bus. I didn't see him until I was at the front of the bus and I'm reading, I remember, and I just turned and I saw this guy getting off the bus and, and walked past the window and I was like, that's Lee. And I like ran to get out and I like, like, I, like it wasn't my stop. So I was like, should I get off now? Should I not? And, I, and he kind of was like disappeared into a crowd. I was like, and at that moment where I was like, you know what? I don't even need to say anything to him. I'm good. That's it. And I knew then that the forgiveness process had been complete. I didn't expect money from him anymore, but I wanted, I wanted to say something to him. I wanted to stick it to him. And at that moment, I was like, you know what? I don't need anything from him. God bless him. It might be a process for some of us. I love this quote by John Piper. He said this, struggling to forgive is not what destroys us. As long as we are in the flesh, we will do our good deeds imperfectly, including forgiving and loving others. Jesus died to cover those imperfections. What destroys us is the settled position that we are not going to forgive and we have no intention to forgive. And we intend to cherish the grudge and fondle the wrong that someone did to me and feel the bitterness. If we think we can be indwelt by the spirit of Christ and not make war on that attitude, we are deluded. So it's not about being perfect forgivers. It's about the fight. It's about the wrestle. It's about saying, you know what? Today, I'm deciding to forgive that person. Even if it takes a process, I'm going to forgive them. I'm going I'm to pray for their blessing I'm going to do well to them if I can, if I'm able. I, I, I want what's best for them. I'm not going to think about them and then immediately go to what they owe me because that's forgetting about the $12 million that I've been forgiven from my king. Right? I'm not going to put more emotional weight on what they owe me than the weight I'm given to what I've been forgiven by my king because I'm part of his kingdom now. I don't operate according to the, 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 the legal rights of the world where I get to demand justice. I'm part of a different realm where the kingdom of God is ruling and reigning in my heart. And so the natural fruit is going to be some, the apples of forgiveness. So I'm going to fight to water those apples and get the weeds out of the way so those apples can grow. I want apple forgiveness to be born in my life, to flow out of me. So again, the main point. Can we throw that up there, buddy? That main point, when the kingdom of God, if you want to take a photo of the screen, remember that. Think about that this week. When the kingdom of God is ruling and reigning in our hearts, the fruit of forgiveness will naturally flow. You struggle to forgive. You say, Jesus, I want you to rule and reign in my heart right now. I'm struggling right now. Would you take reign of my heart? You're the ruler of my heart. You're Lord, you're king, you're my master. 
Again, there's many other questions we can get into. What about consequences and boundaries? And our life groups will discuss some of that this week. But I want to end with a story, a story I read recently in the book Tortured for Christ, which I've referenced a few times over the last few weeks. I just finished reading it. I know some of you guys have actually picked it up and started reading it. Um, it's a great book. It's about the life of Richard Wormbrandt and his wife, Sabina, who were uh, Christians uh, during the World War II. They were living in Romania during the, the, uh, the Nazis. Um, and what they did to the Jews, Richard and his wife were Jewish atheists and then became Christians. Um, and then later they were taken by the communists and put in prison camps and tortured. But this, this one particular story uh, it took place while, uh, during, during World War II, during the, the, the war was still going on. Uh, Sabina, being Jewish, her, her family, her parents, her sisters, and her 12-year-old brother were taken to the outskirts of Romania to a, a village called Transnistria where they were killed, where they were slaughtered. Um, she found out she was devastated, as you can imagine. Well, soon after that, they're in their apartment, and um, she's asleep. Richard is invited over to his landlord's pad, and the landlord in, in, in introduces him to a friend. That friend is a Nazi soldier. Nazi soldier doesn't realize that Richard's Jewish. He is boasting and bragging about all the Jewish people that he had killed and what he's done. And he talked about what he did in this village of Transnistria. And Richard's going, wait a second, my wife's family just gets killed there. This could have been the guy who pulled the trigger. He was boasting about even killing infants. That's the kind of man this guy was. So Richard is wrestling in his heart. Right? Angry and bitter towards him. And at the same time, he's filled with the love of God. And there's this war going on in his soul. Throughout the night, he ends up inviting that soldier down to his apartment where he plays music for him. Finds out, finds out that the guy loves a particular kind of music, so he's playing music on the piano for uh, this Nazi soldier whose name was Borola. And while he's playing the music, he realizes that Borola is being moved, and he just stops playing. And, and I want to I read from the book. He stops playing, and Richard says to him, I have something very important to tell you. If you look through that curtain, you will see that someone is asleep in the next room. It is my wife, Sabina. Her parents, her sisters, and her 12-year-old brother were killed with the rest of her family. You told me that you killed hundreds of Jews near Yalta. That's where they were taken. You yourself don't know who you shot. So we can assume you are the man who murdered her family. Borola jumped up from his chair at this point. He didn't know where this was going. And Richard stopped him and said, let's do an experiment. I'm going to wake my wife and tell her who you are and what you've done, and I can tell you exactly what will happen. My wife won't speak one word of reproach to you. In fact, she'll hug you like you are her brother, and she'll bring you the best supper she can find in the house. Borola did not believe Richard. And then Richard continued, so if Sabina, who is a sinner like all of us, can forgive and love like this. Imagine how Jesus, who is perfect love, can forgive and love you. If you turn to him, everything you've done will be forgiven. Borola clutched his shirt and ripped it apart. Oh God, what do I do? What do I do? I'm a man soaked in blood. What do I do? 
Richard began to pray with him over and over again. Borla asked God to forgive him, to relieve his conscience of his crimes. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And then afterward, Richard says to him, I promised you an experiment and I'm going to keep my word. And so the book goes on. He goes and he wakes his wife, Sabina, up. And he tells her, there's a man in the next room I want you to meet. And he says this, I believe he is the man who murdered your family. Imagine being told that. You're woken up by your spouse. The guy who murdered your family is in our house. And then he says this, but he has repented and now he's our brother. Sabina wrapped herself in a robe, sat in silence for a few minutes, and then went to greet her family's murderer. Borola was surprised when Sabina embraced him. The two held each other and wept together, kissing each other's cheeks again and again. Richard knew his wife's heart. If God forgive, could forgive her for the crimes in her own past, she could forgive Borola. Then she went into the kitchen to provide the soldier a meal. That is a heart that is ruled by the kingdom of God. That is a heart where the reign and rule of God's kingdom has taken over. And the natural fruit is forgiveness. And what that guy owed her, you could say it's probably more than 20 grand. But the natural result was forgiveness towards him. So as we close, I'm going to call the, I'm going to call the band up. We're going to close. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to end with a song called All Hail King Jesus. All hail the Lord of heaven and earth. God, you guys can stand if you're able, if you're physically able to. I'm going to ask you to stand. Um, we're going to sing this song together. And as we sing these lyrics, I want you to think about what we're singing. We're singing, all hail King Jesus. All hail the Lord of heaven and earth. We're saying, I've submitted to you as Lord. Now, if you haven't, if you're not a Christian in here, if you haven't trusted in Jesus that you don't have to sing this. I will encourage you, if, if you're ready to trust in him, I'll be available afterwards. You can come. I'll pray with you. We'll talk about what that means, about trusting in Jesus for the first time. But if you're not a Christian, okay? If you are, however, then you are saying, my heart is under the rule and reign of King Jesus. He's the Lord. He's the master. So where the Lord reigns, then what should weigh the heaviest on your heart, on my heart, is the billions that we've been forgiven. Not the measly thousands that somebody else owes us. Not the measly little bit of, you know, well, I, I called my friend five times and they haven't called me back yet, so I'm done. I'm only going to be friends with positive people. I'm only going to be friends with people who appreciate me and who I am. That's how the world operates. In the kingdom of God, there's something different that should come out of us. Is there anybody that you need to release of the debt in your heart? Remember, Jesus said, if you don't forgive your brother from your heart, maybe you're saying, you know what? They don't have to pay me back anymore for the money that they owe me, but I sure hope their, sure hope their house burns down. You know, they, well, 
probably haven't forgiven them from their heart. You need to release them. You need to release them. It's not something you can do in your own strength. It's something you do as you welcome the reign and rule of the kingdom of God in your heart. That's why we're going to end with a song. Jesus, I want to forgive this person. I need you to take, take authority over my heart. You're the Lord. Remind my soul of what you've done for me. I want that to weigh the heaviest on me. Not the measly thousands that that person owes me. And listen, I know for some of you guys, I know for some of you guys, you're like, I think I need counseling to work through this. Then get counseling. But make the decision today to take it seriously. I need to forgive and I'm going to get counseling for it until I feel that release be complete. I need to invite people to pray with me. Then invite them to pray with you until it's complete. I'm not saying that it's going to be complete today, but I am asking you to draw a line in the sand today. If you can identify somebody, if somebody stands out to you, that you draw a line in the sand, you say, I am choosing to forgive them, no matter if it takes a year to finish the process. You know, every time I had to make a payment to that collection agency, I had to remember what this guy did to me. But the debt he owed me got less and less and less in my heart. As, as the reign and rule of Jesus took over more and more and more of my life. So let's, let's, let's sing and then I'll, I'll, cl- I'll come up and close us in prayer.